And now for a word from our sponsors. Are you fed up with hearing about the modern data stack only to realize that what it really means is buy these half dozen expensive tools and install them all just to get the data you need? You need right data. We combine the tools you need to turn raw data into trusted data for your business users, all in a single, modular, no-code platform. Easily do batch or streaming ingest, transform data, and build and orchestrate pipelines in our Data Factory Data Engineering module. The tools essential to delivering high-quality, reliable data through data observability, profiling, and ML-powered business rule generation are all in our Data Trust module. And to make it easy for users to find and take action on all that trusted data. Data Market is the next-gen catalog that makes it easy for users to find data products, to request access, and to start using the data through APIs, connectors, or even generative AI-powered data analytics. Get a free trial and learn why companies like Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, and General Electric chose right data for their data teams and how you can cut your data stack costs by 50% at GetRightData.com. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 270, Sustainable Data Transformation to Drive Towards Data Mesh, RBI's Journey So Far. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Stefan Zima, Data Transformation Lead at RBI, or Raffleson Bank International. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Stefan's point of view. Number one, no one has data mesh all figured out. Go talk to each other. Personally, Scott, I say this all the time, but you know, also don't be ashamed that you are running into challenges. So is everyone else. Data mesh implementers also need to share more of the anti-patterns they are finding and seeing that they're running across. Number two, 
Agile transformation really focuses a lot on communication and transparency. Both are very crucial to really any successful transformation initiative. Humans struggle with uncertainty and change, so giving them a lot of information, especially about the why, prevents unnecessary pushback. Number three, relatedly, there are many things we can take from agile transformation practices to apply to data and especially data mesh transformation. It's definitely not just a copy-paste, but there's still a lot that is quite relevant with just a few small tweaks. Number four, many organizations are still focusing on technology-led transformation, whether data or digital in general. You must also change the mindset and organizational approaches if you want to be successful. Number five, in banking, the rise of fintechs, you know, financial technology companies, has made it clear that being nimble and quickly acting on data is crucial. You know, something like data mesh is really important in financial services for that reason. Being data-driven is required to remain competitive. Number six, data mesh can mean far less friction in getting to serving use cases. Instead of fighting against the data protection office, they're involved from the start. That time to market is especially crucial in banking right now, as we talked about with the fintech side. Number seven, if you can, look to make your general, your data sharing policies and approaches generic enough to only create friction when there is truly something different that should be examined further. Yes, it's a hard kind of, you know, needle to thread, but look to make them generic enough that they highlight when there's something that actually needs to be reviewed. Number eight, if you really want to be, you know, quote unquote, data driven, you really want to be a data kind of company, you have to find and address the friction points in your data processes. Stop trying to simply get better at processes that stop scaling and have high friction. You have to look for those new ways. If something, if, you know, if you're getting really, really elite at something and it's still causing a lot of friction and it shouldn't be, it's not one of those value points of friction you should be looking to change out that process. Number nine, don't try to sell everyone on flying to the moon when you're struggling to, as Stefan said, just to get the garbage taken out every night. Get grounded in people's day-to-day challenges and sell them on getting better and better on delivering on them so they actually can start to get buy-in to this bigger picture, right? When you're talking to people about what are their daily challenges, not these super aspirational things, but what are they actually trying to do? Where can you help them? That's going to get them bought in. Number 10, relatedly, talk to the vision and the goal, but show the pathway to getting there. You can't just drop product thinking on the organization and expect overnight uptake. Number 11, communication is incredibly important to transformation. You need top-down support, not just behind the scenes, but in day-to-day internal communications. People need to understand transformation is a priority. Leverage your communication department to help, you know, actually frame this conversation internally, not just for external communications. Number 12, to maintain mesh momentum, you really do have to prove out value and then get further buy-in from upper management. You don't just get to build without proving value. That proof of value will add more positive pressure on other domains to get on board. Number 13, to get people bought in, focus on incentives. Words and asking are all well and good, but really incentivization is the key to getting participation and buy-in. 
number 14, in data mesh, it's easy to get too focused on either the small scale, only focusing on use cases, or the overall implementation. As a leader, you need to split your focus between the execution and the big picture. At some point, mesh needs to scale to make it worthwhile, so that big picture matters even early. Number 15, potentially controversial, when doing an agile transformation, the role of agile coaches was quite helpful. Is there something similar that could work for data mesh? Do we need kind of data mesh coaches? You know, Scott note here, we're seeing this a lot. We're seeing data mesh enablement leads. We know Jimmy Coslow from Northern Trust uh, did that. And then Alexandra Deem is going to be an upcoming episode, and she's doing that kind of enablement lead as well. Number 16, take the data product concept and find a clear definition for your own organization. Yes, easier said than done, but... And, and it's okay to have something that extends the concept. For example, at RBI, a dashboard is a business product, not a data product, but they're still putting that product thinking around it. Number 17, when it comes to risk mitigation, the data pr protection or privacy officer can just say no to every request and there is no risk taken. So their job is all done, right? Now, as data people, our job is to clearly explain the risks to someone like that and how we are mitigating those risks to make it easier or easy as much as possible for the DPO to say yes. Talk to them early to design compliant solutions. Tell them what you're trying to accomplish and work out a way to get there. Number 18, potentially controversial. Self-service is more than just providing access to the data, and it's certainly more than just tooling slash the platform. You have to teach people how to find access and con consume and especially understand the data and then teach them to also share what they've learned via data sharing in a safe and scalable way. Number 19, while incentivization is crucial, it's also often hard. E.g., what is the incentive for someone to really complete or to put really complete metadata around a data product into the data catalog? Can any users just come to the owner's with the questions, you know, why, why can't they just do that? So how do we think about incentivizing each, each little piece, not just create a data product, right? Number 20, uh, when you start your data mesh journey, make sure to start with FinOps. You know, not only FinOps, but definitely think about this. So much of data work is opaque. Get your arms around costs and also cost savings. This will prevent a lot of challenges for you down the road. And finally, number 21, simply put, transformation takes time and energy slash effort. If you try to do it as a, all as a big bang or you try and do this huge, huge, big push, big shift in, in a couple of months, all you do is blow things up. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited today for this episode. I've got Stefan Zima here, who's the data transformation lead at RBI, or 
Raiffeisen Bank International. To be clear, though, he's only representing his own views. And we're going to be talking a lot about something that's actually come up quite a bit uh, more recently and is going to be actually coming up in, in some other episodes as well about how important it is to understand transformation at the organizational level, at the business level around data, and that we aren't just trying to reinvent transformation, like how and so we're going to be talking about RBI's data transformation and how that's kind of tied into um, transformation in general, as well as like, what can we learn from agile and digital transformation to apply to data transformation and data mesh? So we're not, again, having to reinvent everything like this stuff has been done. And so we can think about that. Um, we can think about what we can leverage from that, as well as how to talk about data mesh internally and how to upskill the organization and then you know, kind of something that, that uh, Stefan is seeing a lot of, which is a lot of people out there that are saying that they've got a lot of, uh, of experience on, on doing this. But I think part of this podcast has revealed is that a lot of people are very, very early in their journey. And so if you're looking for that person that's really, really late in their journey, you're going to struggle. But like we can still learn from each other. But at the same point, anybody that's kind of promoting themselves as if they, they know all is... Uh, most likely selling some snake oil rather than than having uh, all the uh, the answers for you. So, but before we get into that, uh, Stefan, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure. Hi, Scott, and welcome everybody who tuned in, all the data mesh pioneers out there, and those who are just interested in digging the toes into the cold water. It's fun, I can tell you. Um, yes, as Scott says, I'm a data transformation lead now at Ravisman International. This means. Um, we're taking really the journey of making RBI a data company here from the technology point of view. So really start, starting with modern platforms and self-service orientation for our business consumers until the organizational change of mindset. And this is purely not a one-man show. So before I say anything about me, I want to say kudos to all the people that are very much committed to this from top management to IT strategy for our IT leads. And I think you even had them in the show, our business partners like Rita Lerina Arzler. So kudos to her as well of her pioneer spirit in uh, using data-driven use case portfolios here to bring the demand that we do this. So my past actually is uh, very, very uh, long already in financial industry. So over the last uh, more than 10 years, I've been doing something in the financial industry and technology world. So from uh, IT risk over markets, over treasury and uh, corporate customers, I've seen different banks in the middle Europe. Uh, I've been uh, working in consulting and at my own consultancy company and especially project management, change management, strategic uh, leadership uh, aspects as, uh, also with startup and venture capitalism, but in the end later also especially on supporting in uh, big programs of the banks, right? So we had regulatory projects and so on. And from this perspective, actually, I was then someone jumping on the big data ecosystem that RBI needed. So we built up data lake and logistics, which was like the first time um, the data demands were so increasing for more than the typical regulatory or, or integrated data area and it was like blank page. So we set up some uh, footsteps in this area. And from there, we needed to set up processes, teams, and it grew and a shared responsibility. They are building something which we called the data tribe around this and uh, amazing people still there in the bank. And based on this, I turned myself more into this data director, right? So with this, we started building up the knowledge how to deal with big data, how to use data in a bank, in the cloud, with the new tools, um, how to deal with vendors, how to use this on, uh, let's say, shared innovation with external companies as well when we invest in them like startups, for example. 
And now we have such a majority grown over these years with also the sense of urgency that a transformation needs to get somewhere because more people need data, more people have use cases with this data, that now in this next step, I came to the role of doing the data transformation, which is, I think, a very nice big thing in RBI after the HR transformation and very much linked. But I think we will tip into this, right? Yeah. Well, and I think it's it's great that you've got the experience outside of data, but also within, but it's, it's you know, that transformation understanding is so um, important and, and exactly what you said of, um, I'm, I'm seeing some people out there thinking that they have to be the hero of the transformation and of the business transformation via the data transformation. And, and that, that just becomes, you know, you're, you're Sisyphus, you're pushing the rock up the hill. And anytime you get any progress, you know, you're, you're like, oh, I'm pushing it up. I'm pushing it up. No, you're, you're actually pushing it sideways. You just got yourself all turned around. So, um, so I'd, I'd love to hear about like, what, what was the reasoning for the, the transformation in RBI? You talked a little bit about it, but like, what, what, what are you trying to accomplish and what, like, how did that start to, to kind of emerge as well as like, how did that dovetail with the digital transformation? Yeah. I think this is a big picture, right? I mean, we have many transformations going on in the industry. When we talk about cloud, when we talk about open source, we talk about streaming technology that is coming up. And this is why the data transformation did not fall from the sky. Like we did not wake up one day and thought about, let's, you know what, let's become a data company. That's a cool thing if it sounds good on marketing slides. No, I really have to say that we had cross-border without any uh, order between IT and business. I'm talking here really about strategically the collaboration across built up since for sure 2018 when the analytics, data science, data-driven use cases, analytical CRM was getting more and more attention of the business strategic roadmaps within our banking group. This was the moment when also more demands caused actions. So these actions showed actually where we are. Like, can I get this data from our network banks to be used for something? Did anybody ever check if this is GDPR, fine, or do we have a bank secrecy problem? Because until now, nobody had this demand, right? People, people knew somebody, so if you know somebody, you're lucky, so you maybe find a way around, and then you will do your small things. And uh, the work was perfect for also the time and for this, let's say, um, different era. But now with the fintechs arising, with the shorter time to market, with the pressure on the industry, we needed to make speedboat. Um, and you needed to make a speedboat out of this big, big vehicle that RBI, of course, with, will be. And this is a good thing because it gives us, a, again, the benefits of the corporation. So working with business, hearing their pain points, there was some kind of an outside-in reflection, right? You know this from HL, you do a retrospective and you think, guys, we work our asses off, so sorry for the work, but we're working our asses off that people get their use cases done and we try to get the data in and we fight with data protection officers, with legal, we, we have to draft paperwork, we have data governance that is more focused, of course, on the risk part, but now we need to go to new, new uh, ages. Um, how can we make this professional? So basically on this knowledge building up, we said, guys, we need bold moves. We will not succeed with only improvements. We will not succeed if we can push down time to data another for another week if the use case needs daily data. We will not make RBI more safe, also using risk data for, I don't know, regulatory purposes, if the daily data delivery has, doesn't have the quality of data that it might need. We will not get retail 
to be successful in making more money or the best customer experience that we can again give best prices and best experience to anybody out there if we cannot know our customer better. So if you're blocked by not having the typical customer 360 view or having this new modern relationships that a banking customer of digital banks or of these new players on the market really love, right? That's just not possible. So with this sense of urgency, we got also the pioneer spirit of the business colleagues that are sitting behind these use cases and say, please guys, help us. We not only need new tools and new technologies, we need something that really erases our pain points. Short time to data, independencies from all these bottlenecks. Let us get through to the core of where the data comes from. Let's change the governance that people are not sitting on the data and be happy to share it, publish it, open up the silos, right? So our vision now is make data accessible and make data a product. And this is where the data mesh comes into the play because the data mesh is a title for me, but the means behind it, the product thinking, the organizational way of how to publish and share data from ownership. And with this, having a domain-oriented, federated governance that brings the governance to the production and say, guys, you know what we can use this data for. We don't have to have repeatedly micro discussions about it. We don't need to fill out hundreds of papers and contracts to get the handle. We can now finally automatize things. We can now finally agree on things generic enough for all the people queuing up, waiting desperately to do their use cases that are anyhow similar, right? This is like a vision where you can really think that's a data company. Data is available. We can make data-driven decisions. We don't lack of these opportunities. And I think this is where we really push forward. And I tell you, it's quite a hard ride, but it has to be a hard ride because, of course, we have a lot of pain points to tackle. The whole bank is a stakeholder. Everybody, everybody in the bank works with data and everybody has an individual use case of, I just want to have a simple dashboard or cockpit, but it has to be correct. Until generative AI, I need to feed my machine learning algorithms and I need that my large language model is really spitting out something valuable. And everything in between, they have requirements. So this is why we're not doing just improvements of saying we get this tool better and this a little bit better. We have a whole transformation about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, trying to build or it's trying to breed stronger horses versus the car, right? Like it's you just you need a completely different approach. And and I think it's it's I mean, I might even push back a little bit of one thing you said of like, you know, this is this is a huge threat to our business in that if we don't do this, because a lot of people say this thing of like, you're going to go out of business if you don't do this or you're going to be dead in two or three years. And it's like, that's silly. Like there are some businesses that really have over leveraged themselves and haven't been able to transform themselves over years. You know, you look at a lot of the big, big retailers or, you know, Blockbuster is one that always comes up, but they had years and years. Yes. But it means that at best you're going to be second best and you're probably going to be 20th best or 30th best and that you're just going to see this this kind of decline because if your competitors are better able to leverage this stuff, then they're, like you said, they're faster to market. They're faster. There was somebody on a podcast I listened to a long time ago who said um, that was in banking and they, they were trying to lend. They were trying to find uh, a way to lend to this segment that had traditionally been considered very risky. And it was risky based on outdated models, right? It was risky on because it had these people had bad credit scores, but the credit scores weren't relevant to their actual like 
you know, solvency and things like that. It sometimes, a lot of times it was, you know, racial disparities and things like that, but they found this market and they were the only one that was able to, to feel like they could lend to this market, but they had the exact same default rate and deficiency rates and stuff like that as their other loans, but they were the only one serving this market. So they were even able to charge a little bit more, but they were the only one serving this. So they just gained this massive amount of, of market share because they found this stuff. And you're not going to have those huge opportunities anymore because everybody's out there looking for them and everybody's really doing. So if you are quicker to them, you can gain a huge amount of market share or you can send, oh, we're, we're sensing that the tides are shifting. You know, you're, um, you know, maybe April or, or May of, of 2006. And you're like, we're seeing that the, the, um, or not, or 2008, the, we're starting to see the default rates on mortgages start to tick up. So we're like, Hey, this is some red flags. We're starting to see all these different things. Whereas, you know, somebody else was like, Oh, we're just watching the market versus, Hey, are you driving the market? Are you driving to those decisions? So I talked a lot about that there, but like, I, I think it's really important that exactly what you're talking about of, of getting people bought in that this is how we win. Like, did, did that message resonate a lot or did you, are you still having to kind of you know, get people inspired? Cause they're like, this is how we've done banking for 2000 years. Like banking has been around for forever. So this is how we've done it. Is it really that changed because of digital? Like, are you finding that people are, are bought in or is it just kind of all across the board? Um, this is a very interesting question. And now, of course, I have to be very careful with my answer. No, just joking. <laughs> It's a change process, right? It's a change. And when we talk about change, we have a different kind of audience and stakeholder map of how people perceive the change. Luckily, as we went through an initial transformation lately, our organization is now very used to transforming and adapting right now. So we are having really now the possibility at the basis with a new mindset of, okay, cool, we don't need this classical, super complex hierarchies. Let's think about, you know, servant leadership. Let's talk about roles that really have a value. Let's have a focus on product ownership and product value. So all of these HR terms that I'm now throwing in. And uh, also the HR has uh, critics and still people that are just faking it until they find out uh, how to use it. But uh, I see this here the same. On data, we have um, many, many stakeholders, as I said. And I think the only strategy that we can do is like in, in uh, I don't know, in Taekwondo or something. If I don't punch behind the goal, like that I will not hit hard enough. So I don't know where we end, but we have to push in this direction. Why? Because we have a completely various heterogeneous audience of saying, guys, 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 data mesh, I don't care about. I just want the operations to be stable. Let's, let's, let's don't discuss flying to the moon. Let's just find out how we bring out the garbage every morning, right? So don't come with, come with the full data transformation to me. Let's discuss our data warehousing structure, whatever, like as an example. Um, others are saying, finally, finally, we have, I don't know, an API strategy, we have APIization, we have big data in the cloud, amazing. Now we can really scale up and that it can be independent. Um, let's push it further, let's push it further. So I have every kind of answer in that sense. I don't really have people that are not supportive. This is not my experience. I think everybody is fond of improvements as soon as they understood the improvements. Um, the vision and the goal. And this is very cool because we also live, work here with a broad, let's say, collaboration. We work with the enterprise architecture. We work with the group communications. We work with HR. 
we, we, we have a lot of vehicles to give people awareness and, and uh, information. But I have to tell you that one thing that helps most is, of course, if top management is respecting that direction in a very supportive way, saying, dear people of my division, also be fond of this. Because if I give top management goals to my, let's say, corporate uh, relationship managers, that their only goal is to set, sell more loans, and like that's the only thing they should do. Of course, they don't have any time or interest in, in spending time of experiments, changing or trying something new out. And it's absolutely not their fault. It's just their priorities. And the priorities maybe sometimes needs alignment top down. And the use cases normally come bottom up. So we have some kind of a nice structure. But I fully get your point. I mean, this, uh, this dilemma of we burn very well, we don't need to change too much. Um, is also something that, of course, per board area is different with all the other goals that they have. Thing is now, um, we finished the pilot phase of data measure in RBI, so we have maybe, as a different to some others uh, in, in the European field, really have produced some data products already that we can say this works, right, with all the principles and everything around it. Um, but not everybody feels it yet, so not everybody is uh, on the same level. So we are going in the scaling phase now to be way more fond and way more direct of involving top management to get the mandate straight, to really get here the stronger, stronger spin. And I think this is also needed for a change. You need to prove your track record. You need to prove somehow with some prototype or with some PLC that what you talk here about is not just uh, evangelism and some nice concepts that you, I don't know, you're a great speaker or a great marketeer, but uh, nothing is behind it. This will not help you because you break down the first day somebody wants to consume what you just produced or is heavily waiting on you and then the deadlines pass, right? So this is too risky to burn if the promises are not kept. So um, keeping all the stakeholders in mind, keeping all these opinions in mind, we really try to be individually in our response and, and taking them with us, you know, with any speed that they need. But I think this top management thing is something that we will need to twist those that just don't have time also in the direction to get down the blockades. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot in there, but one thing that just keeps coming up in almost every conversation is just incentives, incentives, incentives. Yeah. Because like, and and it's really important for data people to understand that they can't change the organizational incentives. And so that's where like you have to be in alignment and you have to be in conjunction. That's again, that like no hero, if you're just, you're, your remit isn't to change the organization. It's going. It's to make the organization far better in how they do data. I mean, maybe maybe somebody's remit as a data leader is is far broader, but then they shouldn't really be that you know chief data officer title or something like that. And that 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 incentives in that you're also like you just said you have to balance the short and the long term of like hey we're changing the way that we're trying to approach these things, but I don't have three years. To prove out value, I have to show that we can we can get to crawl phase, and we can sh we can prove value in crawl phase, and we can prove that we've got a good chance to be walking in in a couple of years, and then we're really going to try and start running. But like that, you have to balance all of these things because you know I, I yes. talk to some people and they're like only focus on quick wins, only focus on quick wins, and it's like then you're not learning how to do this at scale, and so you don't you, you're you're only focused on uh, just grabbing whatever you can instead of you're you're grabbing the low hanging fruit, but you're 
you're killing the tree because you're cutting off the the branches to grab the 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 fruit instead of you know you're you're growing the garden you're growing the the orchard or whatever it's just it, it comes through in so many things so i i Louis, I just wanted to say I love the metaphor of this crawling and walking because this is really, it, it hits it on the point. And I think Starburst are the ones I stole this light from. Um, but I always cite it, you know, I'm always fine. But they have this, gree, uh, this tree saying, if you want to start with data mesh, you start with whatever use case you find. Like you start super small and then you have the first leaf on the tree and then it, it grows to domains and then in the end you can scale it up. But I think this is only half the truth. Like this is how you should get started. I, I'm fully support the way to get started with use cases because then you have immediate value shown like I, i'm not a friend of only technical pucs I'm, I'm a friend of really business cases that are supported with the puc but you have to think early about how to scale so this is maybe a mistake some people do don't think ahead in, the, in this in this journey so i just wanted to to, to agree with you on your i didn't want to interrupt you <laughs> or, or they they think too much about thinking ahead and they get so wrapped around the axle it's different extreme yeah they, 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 they think three years how it could be but they never start doing anything exactly this is the other extreme well and giving yourself the space to make mistakes and and that mistakes aren't fatal because historically mistakes have been essentially fatal to a project or whatever in data and we've got ways to not make that happen. Like agile is all about fail fast. And if you say fail in data, people are, are terrified, but it's like, we have to learn how to do that. So, so I think this actually leads in perfectly a lot of what you were saying, but also this of like agile transformation. We've learned a lot. You're, you're, you're applying a lot of the things of agile and digital transformation. So what should we take from that? What shouldn't we take from that? Like what's more specific to data? You know, I mean, it's a very, very broad question, but if you've got any insight to give people, because again, this is the thing that I keep having on the microservices space and people learning from this is people are making the exact, or data contracts especially, people are making the exact same mistakes that we've done in software, in data. It's like, why can't we just see what they did to evolve? And yes, we're it's going to be, it's going to take experimentation, but we don't have to just do the exact same, same thing and make the exact same mistake. So, uh, sorry, I'm just very passionate about this. <laughs> no, I think this is fine. I think because uh, you also have now a lot of talks and I think many people went before being able to go in any way of data mesh or, or making this domain thinking, I think it, it assumes that companies are already agile. And if you're not a completely new agile company, you went also through some agile transformation, right? Um, at, at least I guess. So I can tell you that this was for sure the most interesting and partially also challenging time that I have seen in, in the rivals world, of course. Um, and uh, why? Because it was a paradigm shift. I mean, suddenly we were discussing of completely new career paths, new hierarchy structure and mindset change that not everybody can do to be thrilled. Um, because you're also like, uh, I don't know, you, jo you join a certain company because of its culture and of its mindset and of what you need. Like, I don't know. There's a difference between work hard, play hard, and safety, for example. Like, th there's a trade-off, right? Or uh, such things. And the HL Transformation did one thing very well. They were very, very much focused on communication and transparency. And this was super important because, I mean, what changed there was introducing completely new roles that nobody had ever heard of or if everybody understood it differently. There was no manifest or structure behind, so everybody read one book and thought he or she's an expert on it. So they, they, they created cross-functional teams where people were saying, but wait a second, um, if I now need to be T-shaped, but I was a hardcore programmer, 
do I now also need to learn marketing or what, what does it mean, right? So people were afraid, people was, were scared, people were completely like partially also lost. And I think what they did, and this we now uh, try to repeat, they really started coaching. So we, we established HL coaching that was an amazing tool to bring this stuff to the team so don't you, that you don't have to fight with your fears yourself. You have some guiding hands. So with setting up these tribes, with setting up product owners and setting up the impact maps for this business value-driven uh, developments and, and where you put your chips on, people were there to hold your hand and guide you through. And this was super important. Um, so investing in the communication in your stakeholder map is absolutely of importance. And we do now hear the same because we understand when we reshape data ownership of data products, when we reshape the federated governance it from this classical um, data quality or data governance uh, for bank steering and regulatory, this will make people nervous because we have strict regulations. We have uh, the, the national bank who wants something from us, right? People will say, how do I imagine data products linking together if I need a fully reconciled uh, reporting every month? And these thoughts are valid, right? So what we're going to do and what is going to be uh, very, very much important is uh, we also will have data coaches. So we will go out with data coaches out there to help find how to support the use cases best. We will support with building data products, find possibilities for data products, and make a clear dis um, distinction between what is classical sourcing, because this will never go away. Like working with raw data, all data, taking care of operations in a classic way will not go away. And where you can apply the new ways of uh, consumption, self-service, ownership, and so on. So... The, the broadness is huge uh, that we have now to grow from, from the scaling into this. And we work with these HR coaches on this data coaching as well because they did it already. So their experience is now our treasure. What we also would love to do, the HR transformation went out to companies, right? They went out to companies that were already HR and they learned the anti-pack. They went to Spotify and said, guys, you did this. Maybe like two years later, how are you doing? And they will tell you, you know what? The, the HR book is fine rather have something like a project manager somewhere. You will need this, right? Um, and if you don't know this because you need to learn it part, you will maybe then uh, be surprised how the, the turntables uh, change. And we have here the same. The issue now is there are not many anti-patterns for data mesh out there because I welcome to you the pioneers, right? Because as I said, not many people have this somehow rolled out on broad scale. What I saw and what we tried to learn is how other people's deal with the bridges that they have to cross. And when we find one, we then exchange. Like we talk with the Austrian uh, banks and, and insurances, we talk in the, in the German-speaking region, our conferences and so on. But uh, the people are more likely trying and piloting. But the anti-patterns, I have a feeling there are only a few that can can share. And I think those I cannot afford, you know, because this knowledge is so so important and so, so, so worthy. It, it's uh, I don't know how, how much uh, it should be paid for. Um, so I'm curious about defining these anti-patterns and maybe we can share it someday. Yeah, and last but not least, adapting the organization. Come on, we know how hard this is. This can mean tricky decisions. This can mean some people will be super unhappy, sabotaging. They don't like what's happening. They are afraid of the politics. You know, I, I, I created my realm. Now don't touch my realm. I even want to expand my realm. I don't want to go into this because this will never end without giving you examples. And of course, I don't want to give any examples on this on this part. Um, but this is now the same. Like if you have certain structures and policies and, uh, and processes 
from, as you have to imagine, RBI is uh, in the CE region really almost everywhere, right? Like from countries we don't want to have right now, like from Russia to, I don't know, to the Balkans. Um, we have we have uh, um, the banks everywhere. And they have also different uh, problems. They have a different individual setup, legacy systems, processes, a different regulator, jurisdictions. So we're talking here about a colorful spectacle of issues. And I love dealing with it. Um, it's just you never know with what problem you wake up tomorrow if you speak to another person. So from the digital transformation, we are very close with those who did it. We are very close with those who changed the organization already and adapted it. And I hope we can uh, scale out what they started with all the communication, the stakeholders already, and the board of management that lived through this so they can also live through this with us. Yeah. It's well, one thing you said in there about the anti patterns, it's really funny because I'm, I'm doing a talk uh, next month on on data meshing any patterns and and the uh, organizers were like, yes, please do this. Like this is going to be because it's there's so many of these things that are um, that we're seeing out there that are really really difficult to, to share and find with each other because it's just not something that um, that gets talked about a lot because it's also like the comms department is so restrictive around these people talking about these things. So you have to go out and you have to find those people and then you have to spend a couple of hours with them and go, does this person actually know this or not? And, you know, and, and I've, I've learned how to ask those questions because I've talked to so many of these people, but yes, like that, the fact that, um, it's so fun, it's hard to find the anti-patterns because everything seems like, and I've started to, to use this analogy, um, and, and I'm going to put out a mesh musing on it about meshtopia. And that's like, mm -hmm. you know, a fantasy land called Meshtopia and we're in like a Middle Earth or something like that, you know, a fantasy book. Everybody's going to try and go to Meshtopia and and yet, um, you know, and that has different topologies and things like that. It's got, you know, grasslands and it's got mountains and it's got lakes and it's got rivers and it's got all these different things. But yeah. the starting place is so different. So everybody's journey looks totally different. So you have to find people who's, if you're trying to figure out where they're going, that's very different than how they're going there. And like, okay, this this group is very good at going or, or, you know, through the mountains or around the mountains. You've got a group of dwarves. So they're going to love going through the mountains. And you've got this other, you know, thing of elves that are going to want to skirt around the mountains, but are very, very quickly going through the, the forests and things like that, that you start to think about what challenges do you want to tackle and when, and what does success look like for you when, you know, I've, I've talked to people who say, put out, you know, you want to get out your initial data product in eight weeks and you want to have five data products by week 12, because you're, the only thing that matters is learning how to build data products. But there are others who are like, we have to show the value. So we don't want to have this huge, huge, um, you know, huge try use case trying to do that first but we have to to really spend more time marketing or we have to spend more time we have to build the platform out to a certain degree because our users already have stuff that they're our platforms are actually decent enough already that they can get certain work done so we have to knock their socks off so we have to do something a little bit more intricate and so it's like what does success mean what does it look like for you is is so different and that's I think exactly the same in Agile. It's like, 
what is this team trying to do? What is this the you know, what is the organization trying to do? It is I mean, maybe I'm just talking out of school, but is is that what you're seeing too? This also this also differentiates between it is a good coaching or a bad coaching, right? So the bad coaching is always like putting the theory on you, whatever you want. And the good coach is understanding really what this team is up to. That this is a huge difference. Well, and I think that's where people get frustrated with Shabak because they're thinking that she's a coach. And she's like, no, she doesn't have the ability to go in and coach every single organization and every single organization. Again, she's talking about where we want to get. We're talking about this meshtopia, this land, but she can't tell you like what are your strengths and weaknesses? You have to evaluate those yourselves. Yeah. That's that's so it's so difficult to do that because again, everybody's so early that we're still trying to figure it out. But like, what exactly. do you have anything that that you've learned that that you would say maybe anti patterns or patterns that you would start to say, hey, here's what we learned from our journey. You know, so so we can start to share that, even though I know nobody's done, nobody's anywhere close to done. Anytime I talk to people, they're like, oh, I'm only like. 20% of the way through my journey and these other people are 50, 70%. And I'm like, you're, you're the farthest along. You're, you're, you're 20%. Yes. But you're the farthest along. Nailed it. Now I have this mystopia, like a lot of the rings picture in me, you know, like many, many folks and foresters and volcans and everything's there. Cool. Um, let's see how many wars we will have. No, from this perspective, I fully agree with you. And uh, the most frustrating answer I have to give on conferences when I when I speak or when I'm invited to such talks is like, it depends, but it mostly depends. And uh, to your question, um, mostly I see this with basic definition making. So we needed to define data products for RBI. This sounds now like we would reinvent the wheel, but this is not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about um, when we are in RBI setting up a data set, and we want to have a data product that we can still need something written that we cannot take even Jamek's book or whoever, because it has to fit our governance, our understanding, and it's to be signed off by certain stakeholders. So we have to bring it up in our words, in our um, context. What I learned from there is, even within our house, we can discuss endlessly if a dashboard is now a data product or not. And for us, for us, we decided the data uh, the dashboard is not a data product, it's a business product. So the data behind, we can discuss, but the dashboard is a business product. This is our definition, and we can discuss this endlessly, I'm not going in this direction. But from this example, you see already when you work with externals or with other experts that you don't even know if you're talking about the same thing. So what helped us a lot was when we defined the data product and we found use cases to serve with the data product, this data sets, which are now data products according to our definition, really suit. What does it mean for us? It means there must be a real ownership, and I'm not talking about a paper ownership, you know, like a typical top manager who is responsible for everything, but he has no clue what's in there, or she doesn't know what does it mean for GDPR, or, you know, all this, uh, you're super responsible, you're even personally li liable, but you cannot know stuff like how like this, you have other things to do. So this is not on you. This is on the on the framework. So we really need data product owners that have the resources, knowledge, and the commitment to keep the quality and the maintenance high. Because then I can rely on our data contract between consumer and producer, frictionless. You know, like there is nothing in between, no bottlenecks, no dependency on any queuing up or something. That I'd, I'm sure I get the data in the correct frequency and quality and whatever I need. Um, I also need to be sure that we're here legally fine because, as I said, when we when I see um, 
the best data mesh examples I see right now on the market are coming from pharmacy companies um, because they mostly create data about their chemicals or they create about their, their construction lines, right? It's about mixing stuff at the factories. But this we don't have. We mostly have customer data. We have, we have sensible, sensitive data. We have uh, very, very strict regulated data sets about money and then transactions and credit cards and so on. This I cannot really easily use or like BMW that is super data driven since years already. But it's, a, it's one thing to collect the data from Internet of Things, like what my car spits towards BMW, uh, how fast I drive and what, what, what the screw is, is already loose or something. This is a different thing than knowing what my customer does every day with his bank card, right? Like uh, it's a different story. So there are industries where they can do this a little bit easier. So we have even this challenge and saying, okay, guys, we need also to figure out compliance and the whole GDPR and, and, and access approvals that we need for data. Um, and this also needs to follow a certain logic. And this logic needs, we need to be well aware of the risk that we are taking in the favor of the business roadmaps that we have ahead of us, but not to take any risk that somebody can harm us, right? I don't want to have a data leak. I don't want to be, I don't know, taking away the banking license because we have uh, not the right governance about what state or not. This is, this is the minimum. But everything between the risk then, and, and this is like um, the, the gray zone of how we interpret the rules and how we interpret the law. And this can be done very cleverly and smart if you know in which direction we should go. So this we need to automatize as well to make sure that we can make data accessible as possible. And with this data products, I can tell you it's hard as hell. Like I can tell you the anti-pattern of if you don't have the right people in this working group to challenge also this whole data protection and, uh, and uh, bank secrecy in contracting, you would lose because the the best thing a data protection officer can do is to say no to everything. Then he, then he or she did the job amazingly correct, right? Nothing happens. No, no data leak, no nothing. She or he did the job perfectly, but it doesn't help. So also get here the right people. Um, otherwise, you will not uh, overcome this, this progress because everything is a challenge or a full stop sign. But I need people to say, you tell me how it goes and you don't tell me no. And this was also very important to learn in our first data product. Well, and, and I think what I've, I've heard that's working for people, one is your risk officers, especially in banking, your risk officers are one of your most important constituents of your platform, right? Not just of the data mesh and the processes and stuff, but of your platform so they can review that. And, and the second is shifting everything left. That doesn't just mean shifting ownership from the data team to the, the domain owners. It means in the process. It means having exactly what you said of having those discussions of here's what we're trying to accomplish. Help us get there in a compliant way. What's going to be compliant? How do we get there? Here's what we're trying to accomplish. And a lot of times you, you end up with compromises and 80-20s and stuff of, hey, we're going to get 80% of the way there, but we're going to take on 20% of that risk because where you want to go, there's a lot of risk, but there's not that much reward. So let's talk about that. Or um, one thing that, that I saw at one point was um, somebody wanted to do some demographic data and they didn't have customers' addresses, but they had phone numbers. And this is not necessary. This was in the U.S., so there's uh, this was before everybody could move their phone from one region to another, and your your area code had no um, real tie to where where you are. You know, my area code is for Iowa, and I live in the Netherlands. So, um, but 
but like they they were asking for access to phone numbers and they were like, no, that's sensitive information. And they were like, no, we just want to get a sense of where people are. So we only need the area code. That's definitely not identifiable. Like that's nothing. And so like that, that conversation or, um, you know, Sarita Baxt, when she was on, she's leading um, the governance for JP Morgan Chase's um, implementation. And she was talking about that. So there are so many use cases where a, a DPO should say no, because the information provided by the consumer is garbage. So how do we how do we get the consumers to to actually share what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And that you can actually go, oh, you can't have access to this because you're using it in a compliant way. But in in um, financial services, what I'm seeing, Eric Broda just talked about this recently on a roundtable I did with him as well, um, where you have a zero trust in all senses. You know, you have zero trust API architecture, but you have zero trust as in no, no one can just access our data products. You can access information about them and you may be able to pull in a synthetic data set that's very, very small comparably, but I'm not going to trust you to not write a bad query and I'm not going to trust you to just have access to this data because you may be combining it with six other data sets and then all of a sudden all this stuff that was anonymized is now de-anonymized and we're in trouble again. And so, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm seeing this more and more in financial services as to... We just need to, it's funny, uh, Danilo Sato said this a, a long time ago. He's like, can you all just talk to each other? Please just just talk to each other. And like the, <laughs> the specific definitions and the communication framework and the encouraging communications that you've been talking about this whole time are the killer apps of Data Bash. They're the only ways that, that I'm seeing that organizations are scaling. And it's exactly what you said. It's what did we learn from all these other transformations? So, I mean, I want to give you lots of space to react to that, but like. No, I think you tackled, you tackled maybe a topic I did not emphasize enough now, but we talked about the data products, the ownership and the, the processes behind. But what you already said here is we want to enable self-service, right? Like one of the paradigm shifts is we want to apps, upskill everybody on the, on the consumer side of this cross-functional team side. I don't care if it's in the line organization, business or IT, but the consumer of the data shall be able to do this in self-service. And how else to do this if there is no upskilling, no data literacy, no understanding for the compliance, no knowing of the data framework and the ecosystem, not knowing of the tools, not knowing of the process. And on the other hand, not having tools and processes that are simple enough to teach to everybody. Like, of course you have super experts on, I mean, as I said, my, my old team was amazing. We built up data consultants that are specialized on getting you data because it's super hard because it needs all the compliance stuff to be done. You know, you collect all the approvals and you need to know how to source it up and how to test it and everything. Super important. Um, but this will never enable self-service in scale because you will always need this consultant. You will always need somebody to do it for you. And this shall be with automation and with these modern technologies, tools, um, that we have a lot of investments here going to a data marketplace, right? So without the data catalog and proper metadata, I can throw data mesh anyhow out of the window. I think I didn't say this until now, but this is like the basis. Working in Agile and having good metadata for this, you need a catalog. And without this, we will not fly. And uh, this can also be seen differently per, 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 per um, industry or how much does it have to look like Amazon or can it be more like a technical overview? I don't care, but it has to work in self-service. 
Um, we're still struggling with the vision here, to be honest, and I'll tell you why. Because if there is no incentive, or well, again, a bullet point that we had before, right? Why should I invest in writing metadata into this catalog? Why should I have additional work of describing this to the whole world? My people know it. Like I have anyhow a full backlog. My people know the data. Why should I explain it to random people that never talk to me ever again? Well, without this investment, we will never come to this meshtopia that I like how you said it. Because how else can I then spread the knowledge properly? So um, we have so many puzzle pieces that now has to have to fit together that I'm already, again, exploding in the scope and in the complexity of what we're working on. But what you just said will not fly if you cannot go into search service at all. Well, and, and it's funny because, you know, you, each person is different. So you're trying to do that. By, but I think Irina said something really, really helpful on her episode of, hey, if I get credit for the value that is created, my domain gets credit for the value that is created from my data, then I get far easier path to more investment in my data. And, you know, everybody else getting value from the data, great. But who's going to get the most value from my data work? Me. And and so it was like, you know, she's got that like, hey, this is an amplifying effect. I want to, sh- I want the, the rest of the business to, to use my data to really be, but like, if I'm able to get them to really leverage it, then I get far more dollars. But what we're seeing from everybody that's trying to do these data marketplaces, data marketplaces are almost an anti-pattern in a way because you almost need data Sherpas. You know, you've got these data coaches as to how to, to train people up, but you need somebody who's like, what are you trying to accomplish? Because right now we're having people that really struggle with framing the data and structuring the data in such a way that it can be consumed as is. That people, is that because people don't understand how to just come to something and go, I can consume from it? Or is it because we don't understand how to structure it? Or is it because we don't understand how to communicate? Or is it because there's just a gap there and we just need to get people to kind of get out of their own way? I don't know, but it's this thing that that is just this pervasive annoying thing that everyone keeps running into and nobody's really articulating or talking about much, but it's constant. It's this constant, like, you know, it's like the war drums for, again, Lord of the Rings. It's like this constant, like, beat in the background that you might hear of the orcs that are marching, you know, they're they're days away, but you can still hear this thum, thum, thum. (laughs) And so it's like, can we actually get there if we don't know how to put this data out there in such a way that everyone else can use it? Or do we need to do that? Is, is it fine to just say, like, we've got this data, somebody knows that we've got this data, we can share what data we've got, and they come to us, and then we work with them to make sure it's included in our data product so that they don't have to go and do the work themselves. But, like, I don't know. But that's that, that comes up all the time. But but I love that Irina said this because we would tackle here the next puzzle piece that keeps me up at night with, with FinOps, right? Like, if I don't have value behind the data figured out that the cost transparency to put a price tag on the data, even if I'm not paying for it, but I know how what it's worth, how can I derive incentives? I mean, I've, I've heard examples of this where people say, if you make a data product, you get really money. I think that's BS. I'm sorry to say that because then just people make not usable data products just to hit a certain number and there's no value behind this. Um, it, it is way more clever to link the data that is shared, and I think this is what Irina meant, 
um, with use cases that are using it and then make money or save money, right? You have a business value, the business impact, like a PL uh, impact. And this kudos of the top management, where mostly it's both linked to bonuses, budget, and resource approvals, and whatever you need, this is linked to these goals that you reach, right? So, oh, you made more sales, you get more resources because you reached your goals. But hey, you did not achieve this alone. You can be thankful for Irina's team sharing the data product that, again, she got because our dear colleagues from Kosovo or, or Albania or, or Czech Republic gave her high-quality data according to the data product contract. And we're all a big family and this cascades down and everybody has an incentive to work in that way. We're doing this right now, mostly linked to the cloud migration, like to our cloud transformation that we had in the house, because the costs of cloud are quite easy to be transparent, but it's also hard to make this, you know, to make this FinOps management nice. And Gartner was the one saying this at the last data analytics conference, and I, and I liked this very much. Um, they said... Um, for going to data mesh, start with FinOps now. Even if you have no clue where you end, even if you don't know how to get there, start early because you will need it. And I think they're right with that part. Uh, because if I don't have this value on the data at some point in time, um, people will fall back into the, yeah, but I don't have anything out of it. Let me get back to my classical work. And the best thing about the classical work is then we go back to what you said before in the, in the business line. Why should I learn self-service if I'm used to that somebody else is doing it for me? Like, how amazing is that my dear colleagues are throwing it over the fence and somebody does it? Helps individually, just doesn't scale, right? And I think that value framework is so, so difficult. But one thing that, I mean, if you ever, if you go into economics at all, economics 101, right? Like uh, microeconomics, not, not macro, but the marginal utility, like what is something of value to that one person? And, you know, I had this professor who was obsessed with burgers and, and beer was every single example. And like, I literally dropped the class because um, uh, the answer, <laughs> well, the answer was 50 burgers, zero beer. So I put 50 burgers and I got <laughs> one third credit. I got two out of, I still remember that over 20 years later, it was like, what are you talking about? Of course it's zero. You give me two out of six because I didn't put zero of this other thing. I left it off. But anyway, um, that you, you you can't as a data team or as a data producer measure the value that was created. You have to push that onto the 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 ones who are actually capturing that value. But you have to give them a framework for discussing it and sharing and understanding and and measuring that value. Because you know, I talk about this a lot. What's the value of an incremental hundred million in revenue? Okay, well our our stock is you know at at one, you know, our price to sales ratio is is one. So that hundred million is a hundred million in in our valuation. No, no, it's not, not necessarily. What if it was at bad margin? Or what if it was at really good margin? Or what if it was at bad margin, but it was to capture a, a new market that was really, really valuable to you and you're capturing market share and then you've got pricing power and or it's, you know, it's this thing that you're you're going after and it's a new you know, it's it's Netflix that, uh, you know, when they were going into streaming before they were just renting DVDs, you know, they were sending DVDs through the mail. And so it's like, what is this streaming thing? Why do you think this is at all useful? And that you you have those conversations uh, and, and that you say, like, what are you trying to accomplish and how much did the data work help? And if somebody doesn't attribute the actual amount of value to the data work, then nobody does data work for them. 
And so then, the, you know, they, they got to claim that the value was all theirs. And then the next few quarters, nobody's doing anything for them and they're starting to fall behind. And so you have that, that framework, but you also, what you said earlier was so key of transparency and communication that you're, you're investing in the ability to communicate with each other. Nobody does that because it's not, especially around data, because it's like, well, I want to invest in the, um, in the actual infrastructure and I want to invest in this stuff because a lot of times that stuff is expensive or the people, but it's not the communication. And if we don't invest in the communication, how can we scale this? How can we make this so we, people want all the communication to be the ones and the zeros between the machines? And it's like, then nobody understands anything because there still is nuance to data no matter what. And if there's not, then you're not capturing data about something that's very interesting. If there's not nuance that can't really even be explained unless somebody is asking about it for their own use case. Exactly. I, I think especially as we don't have all the answers yet, right? So I'm, I really have to emphasize that what I'm talking here about is the way we go forward, the direction that we learn along the way. When we started the pilots, we did not have the answers of how the definition of a data product will look like because we didn't create one yet. So, and then in the happy year, I will be able to tell you how the domains will be looking like, because now it starts forming that we can discuss the domain ownership and stuff. And uh, this is the way we will learn uh, along the way. And uh, having said this, we, we really um, need to invest in this community aspect and share as much as possible, because it would be very arrogant to think a little working group can give all the answers. This is with business, cross-functional, along with the HR teams elaborating on their independent, it depends situations to find solutions. And uh, to emphasize here that we all need to have the automation, the tools the, that they have to learn a bit, you know, everybody has to contribute to this change in their own way, is clear. But in the end, it cannot work out top down or with a big bang. We're in a transition and this transition is, is fluid and we're learning and we're scoping and we're shaping and we're adapting if necessary. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And everybody who tells you differently out there, like he has the playbook, how to become a data company with data mesh, or I think who anybody who, anybody who comes as a fundamentalist and says, I have the, I don't know, I have the, the umbrella that put it on your company and this will fly. It won't. You, you have, as you said, you have to find the individual way of guiding them through the forest. This is uh, only possible with a community and with strong partnerships and Luckily, we have this. I mean, there's are anyhow always these names that I that mark on my LinkedIn posts, uh, how great these people work and support and collaborate. And I cannot now name all of them, but I think I have to emphasize this very, very much as, as I see that we talk already for a while. <laughs> well, and, and I've been thinking about this even on a, at a kind of industry by industry basis of like, I wish, and, and I'm actually going to be talking with the data mesh learning community folks about this potentially of like, should we have industry working groups and that if the people that are doing data mesh in these industries, if they each, you know, if we've got, you know, 30 sponsors and they each chip in, you know, five, 10 K or something a year. And, you know, that pays for somebody to literally go and extract all this information, connect everybody to each other. How much more could that 
results in everybody actually sharing these insights and going and go, hey, you're having trouble with this one thing. Okay, I'm going to connect you to this person because they're an expert. I've been trying to do that, but I'm I'm not at a scale where I could do that across everybody, every industry and do all the other stuff that I want to do. Um, but it's just it's so much of what you're talking about is is internally and externally just going and talking to each other and making sure you're on the same page and and trying to to find these definitions so that you limit confusion because that's where that where data goes wrong is when people aren't on the same page where data projects fail is is you know sometimes it's that what we thought was going to happen isn't at all the case we thought this was going to be a lucrative market and that's hopefully with data mesh we can quickly find that information and shut down the work if we're not if it's not going to be fruitful but it was still valuable to go check instead of spending a bunch of money to go after this market that sucks um <laughs> but that so much of this stuff is just it just boils back down to communication and be you know working with each other instead of the data work being the thing that ends up being what what powers it that's that's the the message that I keep getting from every which is I'm so excited I'm talking too much because I'm so excited about how how simple it just keeps coming through but it keeps being that everything that flows back through to just those those kind of insights of like just talk to each other work together be on the same page it, it closes the circle of how we started, right? When we said, why do we have this now? Because we communicated the pain points better. We learned more. We exchanged more of what's going wrong. So this all starts with the communication and with this sharing across the borders that you normally have in a big corporation because everybody's a little bit, you know, focused on their topics. And with opening this up, then you finally find out, hey, cool. Like if we bundle like corporate retail markets, they all work, especially in the analytical area now and push forward there. They have the same interests. Cool. Let's let's invest together. Let's learn together. Let's you do a use case. We learn from you, and we can scale faster. Amazing. Like I think this is the kind of a culture that we owe to the HL world a little bit, and we uh, owe it to the journeys that we have behind us. So I'm really happy that I was uh, witnessing this before because it gives a ground, let's say, ground requirement to go further and to push further. If you come there from the side. And in the theoretical way, in this, in this, I want to be the teacher now, I want to know better, I think you will fail. So this is something that really has to grow within this community. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people have kind of given me flack because I've, I've said, this is what data mesh means and it's the Jamax vision. But it's not that data mesh in and of itself with that vision, one, that will change and it's more people like trying to change it completely. But two, the whole thing that she's talked about is we don't know how to do this. Like we have to, we have to work together to figure out how to do this. And that I, I don't, if data mesh isn't the thing that ends up working, great. If data mesh can force people to figure out what ends up working, I don't care if it's something completely different. I, she doesn't care if it's something completely different. We just have to figure out how to do this at scale. And that's what ends up mattering. So well, exactly. I, I'm sure we, we talked about a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there, is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to, or, or any way you'd want to wrap up the episode? No, I think we really went through all the puzzle pieces that are that are important. I think it's really necessary to emphasize you need partners, you need these partnerships, and you need to also take care of what your company or what your industry needs and where you stand because there is no blueprint of a journey and it's it's hard work for everyone wherever you start. We have the customer and the data in our DNA. This I can say what I know from the culture and the vision of RBI. So this is where, where the drive comes from. If it's a different one, it will also be fine. 
you just have to find your own and uh, looking forward to all the other podcasts that I can listen to you now that uh, maybe some more exchange happens and uh, maybe also to share this in another panel or something. So thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's funny that the panel literally just came together today. I found the fourth person today. So, um, but uh, so, you know, um, I'm sure there's going to be a heck of a lot of people that would like to follow up with you. Where's the best place to do that? Anything specific you want people following up about? Just feel free to hit me up on, on LinkedIn. I think this is the easiest and I think you will anyhow link me there, right? So the people will find me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll drop that link in the show notes. But, you know, Stefan, thank you so much for spending the time here with me today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Stefan Zeman, Data Transformation Lead at RBI. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.